Phil Papadakis, and my co-host, as always, is... Sydney Loudit. And this is the song Hellhound by Sean James off his record that came out much earlier this year on the shoulders of Giants, which I wanted to play, but, you know, just don't have the time sometimes to play blues. But I'm into it, and crucially, Sean James got a lot of recognition this week because his music was featured in a video game trailer that debuted this weekend, and a lot... Which, I mean, the trailer's better than the song. Sorry. The song's real good, but the trailer's like a 10 out of 10. I won't get into it. Anyway, you're a country fan, Sydney. Do you listen to, like, blues kind of harder rock? No, I do not. Okay, no. Well, all right. I tried to find some middle ground, like Trevor Noah in the New York Times this morning, and it just didn't work <laughs> out exactly. But are you are you into this at all? going to be honest with you. I can't hear the music. Oh. Well, that's unfortunate. That's a technical difficulty. Nonetheless, I uh, I encourage you that it's pretty good, so Google Sean James. I'll Google it later. All right. This is the Word Transport Show, and I'm cutting the music talk early this week because we have a lot of news to get to for some reason. I don't know why it happened that there was a lot of news this week, but here we are. Number one playing their final game of the regular season at home against Kansas State. And with both teams securing a fourth-place finish were they to win fourth place in the Big 12, the Horn Frogs struggled to get much of anything going, losing 30-6. to Foster Sawyer started for the first time this season, and it went about as well as expected. Sawyer went 12-25 for 25 for just 86 yards and an interception. No TCU back rushed for more than 60 yards, and the defense struggled to stop the leading rushing offense in the Big 12 as they let up more than 300 rushing yards in the 34 minutes. TCU's defense was on the field. TCU now plays Georgia in the Liberty Bowl on December 30th in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm bummed that it's the Liberty Bowl, but uh, I'm excited that it's against Georgia because I always think it's fun to play SEC teams, but... um you know, bummed that it's the Liberty Bowl. Yeah. I mean, I think every TCU fan would have rather, obviously, won the game because you want to win the game. But winning the game would have meant we would have played in Houston much closer for most fans. And we would have played A&M, who, while not a distinct rival, it's a Texas team versus another Texas team that always creates animosity and fun between the fan bases. Obviously, we all would have liked that. We didn't win because we're not that good. <laughs> Especially on offense, Ugh, where man, this was hard to watch. Where not only have we not been very good all year, we definitely are not good with Foster Sawyer. So shout out to all the Foster Sawyer truthers who like go after people on Twitter when they start talking about Kenny Hill. He's just not that good. Kenny Hill is better. That's the problem because Kenny Hill's not that good, and he's still better than Foster Sawyer. Yeah, I. 
I think if Kenny was healthy enough to come into the second half, he should have just started. Because, like, nothing, like, Foster Sawyer is not good. He's just, he's not good. I mean, I think. He's a better quarterback than, you know, the average high school quarterback. But, like, he's not good enough to be playing for a power five. And look, in his defense, he was not recruited to play in Cumbie and Meacham's offense. So. Oh, you're right. So, I, I, I say, I've said this before. If he were better, he probably would have transferred by now. Because right. it's just not an offense suited to his best skill sets. So. Right, and, like, he has an okay arm, and, like, he's pretty accurate, but it just doesn't work for us. Well, I mean, he threw for lower than 50% this week, so I don't know how much the accuracy is there. But he does Sometimes have an arm. Sometimes he's accurate. He does have an arm, and if you put him under center and rush the ball more, could he be a competent quarterback in college? Probably, but that's not going to happen at TCU. No, it's not. He's not the future. He's not even the present. We're probably going to lose to Georgia if he starts. That would be my estimation. I don't know enough about Georgia's. They're not great either. I figured because they're in the Liberty Bowl. Um, but I don't know enough about their offense to be, or enough about their team in general to be able to call this game. But I, I, I will stick with my high hopes for TCU. <laughs> as always. As uh, it's bit me in the butt a lot this season, but you're still going with it. I can respect that. The, the <laughs> I just stay about, consistent. The thing about this team, they, if people remember, they started as one of the worst defensive teams in the country and one of the best offensive teams in the country. Through like three or four games, they were one of the top five offenses in the nation in terms of total yardage. They ended the year 41st on offense and 44th on defense, so it evened out a lot, and that's because the defense improved and the offense stagnated or got worse as time went on and you know we've called into question as well as many others the play calling this year for Meacham and Cumbie I still think Meacham and Cumbie have proven themselves to be two fabulous coaches when they have enough talent to run what they want to run obviously this was a bad year for them and pretty much everyone involved with the program and I don't mean to insinuate that like I would even consider firing them because by no means would I but I I, I had saw a stat on Twitter yesterday that 44% of the incompletions thrown to wide receivers by Kenny Hill this year were drop passes. Like, you need to coach these guys up better. You know, Josh isn't coming back through that door, and there's enough wide receiver talent on this team to be not just make do, but be good. Like, Porter's the most talented wide receiver on the team. He had essentially a year where 90% of the time you had no idea he was on the field. Taj Williams, number one Juco transfer coming out at the wide receiver position, came here instead of going to places like Alabama. He's obviously talented, but they didn't use him as well as you might have liked. And when he was thrown to, he had a problem with dropped passes just like the rest of the team. The only consistent offensive skill position player we had this year was Turpin, who once he got injured was gone for a few games, and once he came back was not as good as he began the year. So the offense was supremely disappointing to me. The defense began the year supremely disappointed because we expected that because we had given so much time to young guys in 2015 that there would be a lot of experience on the defense. It didn't end up coming in to make 
any big difference because the defense, while they improved, were not as good as they needed to be. Which, speaking of which, number two, a year after getting five AP All-Big 12 offensive players, TCU failed to get a single player on the offensive side of the ball. Overall, five Frogs made the AP All-Big 12 team with Traven Howard making the first team defense. He led the Big 12 in tackles. And I want to say, if I remember correctly, he was fifth in the nation. And Caraway, Tejada, Johnson, and Curry all making second team defense. So again, overall, the defense got better, did as best they could. And as obvious by the all Big 12 selections, the offense was not there. I am so bummed out by these choices because I think a couple more of our players are good enough to be all Big 12. To be fair, Turpin probably would have been all first-team punt return if he hadn't missed so many games due to injury. But, like, Ty Summers is an incredible linebacker. Like, I think he could be better, he's but I good. think he's very good. Yeah. Incredible is a strong word. But, yeah, I mean, Ty Summers can play. And I'm just so bummed out that he hasn't – nobody's really, like, pointed that out. Like, I mean, we that's have some true, really... but our defense hasn't been that – great to justify getting that many players on the team. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I mean, think Tejada he got a, lot, a little more recognition than he gets. Right, like, Tejada got a lot better as the year went on. I don't know that I would have put him second team all defense. Now, that being said, I haven't been tracking Big 12 corner play this year, so maybe, yeah. you know, Tejada was, like, the fourth or third best corner in the conference, but, like, Traven Howard's obviously a must. He's been great this year. He's one of the best linebackers in the country, in my estimation. Right. But the only other players I would really put on as standouts in the conference for this defense was Caraway. And he's not listed here, but I thought McFarland had a nice year. And I, 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 yeah, I have listed. to agree with you on that one. I think he had a pretty good year. Uh, there are a couple guys that got ESPN second team all Big 12. Like I think Nick Orr was on their second uh, team all Big 12. Good for him. Uh, and they had Turpin as second-team punt returner, even with the injuries. So it is what it is. It's a disappointing year. They've got one game left to end it on a strong suit so that they can end the year, you know, not disappointed with themselves, even though they probably still are, but it's still nice to end with a win. And if you beat Georgia, you end up 7-6 and six on the year, a winning record, which given where you were like a month and a half ago with this team is probably – an accomplishment. Number three, TCU basketball continues their undefeated start to the season, now sitting at 8-0. TCU beat the presumptive number one overall pick, Markel Fultz, and his Washington Huskies twice, and followed that up with a 23-point win against Arkansas State. TCU has more four more non-conference games, including a game against SMU tomorrow, before the Frogs start Big 12 conference play against Kansas on the 30th. FYI, Kansas currently, I don't know what they'll be on the 30th, ranked third in the nation. So, starting out with a doozy. But, TCU looks good. Now, a couple years ago, people remember that they started 13-0, went undefeated in non-conference, and then they didn't end up even making the NIT. If you watch this team, they are, I don't know that they're going to go undefeated in non-conference again, but even if they don't, they are the best team certainly since I've been here and probably since a few years before then. I'm excited to see how they play against a team like Kansas because obviously they, they look a lot better than I think our basketball team has looked in a very long time. Um, 
and I think this is the first year that they could really be a contender. But I'm interested to see how they play against a really good basketball team. I mean, I think especially if we pull an upset against Kansas, we that need would be to, amazing. We need to keep into perspective. You talk about contention. For me, if this team makes the NIT, I will be happy with the result, especially based on where we were last season. If they make the tournament at all, I'll be thrilled. I right, don't no, expect I obviously them, don't think they're going to be one of the best basketball teams in the country because you watch them. And but I'm saying I don't expect them to like even compete in for the Big 12 Conference title. Like there are just really too many either, better teams. West Virginia's and Kansas are noticeably better than us. Yeah, no, and I don't disagree with you. I just think that there's a lot of potential for this team, and I think this year already shows the amount of growth that TCU basketball has had, and hopefully it continues into the future. I mean, again, they're, it's a dramatic improvement from where they are last right. year. Right. Now, no, is it a agree. referendum on Trent Johnson's era that even though they're much better, I still don't know that they're going to make the tournament this year? Yes, but that I mean, that's the state of the program, and Jamie Dixon has made an immediate difference. Again, you beat Washington twice, once on a neutral court, once here. And Markel Fultz looks great. Might be a future Dallas Maverick if they get the number one overall pick. He's really good. He's averaging 23, 6, and 6. He's got all the length, athleticism, and explosiveness you would want from a number one overall pick. And I, as well as a lot of scouts, would say he's probably the best point guard prospect since Kyrie Irving. So. Yeah. To beat them twice, Washington's not great, but they are very talented. That's an accomplishment. And you beat UNLV, who, while not the UNLV at the 90s, is still a program that is better than us. And those kind of upsets are important in building confidence in this team. And, I mean, when they played Washington at home, there weren't that many people that went to our game. And uh, I would hope that as this team continues to win and as they continue to improve and show that they are a competent basketball team for the first time in a few years, that uh, we as TCU students, alumni, faculty even, support them. Uh, I'd love to see Kansas sell out, but I don't know if that's going to happen. <laughs> Is that game at home? Yes. Oh, sweet. I didn't know that. Where in 2013, we pulled off an upset over then number five, Kansas. And it's one of wow. like two times that a good thing has happened to TCU basketball. <laughs> number four, the Cleveland Cavaliers play the Knicks in MSG tomorrow. But after a disagreement in recent days, by which I mean like a month ago, over Phil Jackson's use of the word posse to describe LeBron's business partners. LeBron was asked this week if he plans to meet with Jackson. LeBron swiftly denied this and says he has, quote, no interest in meeting with Phil Jackson, unquote. So for those unaware, LeBron and Maverick Carter and Rich Paul, all guys that went to high school together, they're all longtime friends who grew up together and now essentially run all of LeBron's business dealings. So Rich Paul is his agent. Maverick Carter runs all of his entertainment properties. He's got a game show coming, I think, on ABC like sometime soon. LeBron wants to become more than just an athlete. Uh, strangely, 
I mean, well, not strangely because of how good he is, but he set a goal like five years ago to become the first billionaire athlete, and then he got a billion-dollar lifetime contract from Nike, so that happened. So I guess he feels like he has other things that his guys need to do. And look, Phil Jackson, I don't think Phil Jackson... There were some... I need to word this correctly in order to get my point across. There were some people who were claiming that people were calling Phil Jackson a racist and strawmanning that argument. And people were then making that straw man, disagreeing, saying, no, Phil Jackson's not a racist. That's not true. I've never heard anyone say that, even in response to this. What is true is when you describe young black men as a posse, you have to be aware, especially Phil Jackson, who has worked with young black men his entire life, knows that there are connotations that even if you do not mean, you have to be aware of. And you can't, you can't use the word posse to describe businessmen like LeBron, Maverick Carter, and Rich Paul, who are all incredibly successful. And with the exception, I mean, you could argue with the exception of LeBron because of his just God-given talent, but it's not like they were given an easy road to becoming an agent because while Rich Paul is an agent for LeBron and negotiating a lifetime or excuse me, a max deal for LeBron is not necessarily hard. Rich Paul also represents J.R. Smith and Tristan Thompson and Eric Bledsoe and Ben Simmons, all guys who are not affiliated with LeBron at all, who now respect Rich Paul as an agent and work with him. Same with Maverick Carter, who is getting TV show and movie deals done on behalf of LeBron. So, Phil Jackson just needs to be more aware of what he's saying. And if this was some weird, like, Zen master trickery, it's just not working. Do you have any feelings on this? I... (laughs) At the fear of sounding racist, I'm going to go ahead and say I don't really have a problem with what he said. All right. Fair enough. (laughs) Do you want to elaborate or shall we move on? I... You know, like, obviously, if it's, like, a little offensive, but it's just somebody saying some words. Like, I don't know why this is such a big deal. Well, I mean, again, like, I don't want to blow it out. blatantly of- racist or blatantly, like, inappropriate. I don't know why it should be of concern. Because, again, I think we need proper context. No, It's not like LeBron called Phil Jackson a racist. He's just saying, I have less respect for you now than I did before you mentioned this, and I don't want to have a meeting with you about it. People, including myself, by putting it on the show. Call to make, decide to do that, but like, I don't think it's a huge deal. I just, keeping it in proper context, context, I don't think LeBron's unjustified, and I don't think we should blow it out of proportion as more than what it is. Fair. Number five. In a bad game between two teams who began the season in similar places but are now very far apart, the Dallas Cowboys beat the Minnesota Vikings 17-15 to against a talented defense that had admittedly underperforming in recent games. Dak Prescott and Zeke Elliott failed to generate more than an average performance, but the Cowboys are now 11-1 and have won the NFC East, the first team in the NFL, to guarantee their spot in the playoffs. I'm so excited about this. 
I'm so excited for Dak and for Zeke and for the rookies that got to do this. And Coincidentally, since I've written this, uh, it came out that the number one and number two overall vote-getters for the Pro Bowls are Zeke Elliott and Dak Prescott, respectively. And I, personally, I think Dak should get that. Uh, I think Dak is... Obviously, I respect Ezekiel Elliott's talent, and I think he's an incredible running back, and I think he's great, uh, and he has tremendous talent. But I think coming in as a rookie and being a team leader, like to be Dak, fair, are you talking? Just to clear it up for me, are you talking about MVP or the Pro Bowl? MVP. Sorry. Okay, because I was just referring to you. They're the number one and number two overall vote yeah. for the Pro Bowl. They're well, absolutely I'm both going to make they it. Both get to go to the Pro Bowl. Now, if you want to have the MVP discussion. I I think the front runner right now is Derek Carr, who is having a great season of he his is. own in Oakland. Um and I think next up is some combination in some order of Tom Brady and Matt Ryan. Then I think it's Zeke and Dak. And look, if you were saying to me who's the most valuable player in the league in the NFL, I'm gonna say Tom Brady. But when put into context, missing four games, his team's probably not going to be the number one overall seed in their conference. It's not easy to justifiably give him that award. Derek Carr makes sense, but I would argue Dak's been more impressive. The numbers, while not as gaudy, are much more efficient for Dak. He's number one in the league in QBR, which is, by most people's estimation, currently the most sophisticated measure of quarterback performance we have. And also, if you just look at his circumstances, like this is his first year in the NFL. He's a rookie. He's brought this team that in the past few years has been really not good to be the best team in the NFL. And I give him so much credit for what, and obviously he's got a great offensive line. He has great receivers, a great running back, a couple great running backs. The team is good. Here's, but I think Dak and his ability to orchestrate that is amazing. Here's the question I would have for voters. If you crossed out Dak Prescott's name and put in Tony Romo, Tony Romo's unquestionably the MVP. If Tony Romo I is... I think Dak is more impressive because of well, the no, circumstances. But hear me out. If Tony Romo had taken his team to 11-1, and one, is probably going to take his team to the best record in the NFL, was putting up these numbers with this efficiency, with this amount of low turnovers, Tony Romo would be the MVP, no questions asked. The only reason we have questions is because it's Dak Prescott and he's a rookie. And to me, you can't dock him for that. If anything, you might want to give him more credit. No, exactly. I think it's his circumstances that make this so much more impressive than just any other quarterback. But as we'll get into after we come back from the break, we call that a tease in this business, <laughs> uh, the NFL has a lot of weird, unwritten, sometimes written rules. One of them is rookies, re like, it's almost unheard of for rookies to win MVP. Yeah. Eric Dickerson did it in the 80s. I can't think of another one personally that won as a rookie. Either. That's who I was thinking about. And, I mean, I'd probably vote for Dak. 
I mean, you can't vote for the entire Cowboys offensive line as one unit. Otherwise, I would do that. But That's true. The offensive line is the real MVP here. So, it is what it is. They're both really good, even though this game, they weren't very good. Before we go, I do want to talk about the Vikings. And I do mean when I say, I mean, they started the year in very similar circumstances, right? A team that made it, well, in the case of the Cowboys, if we ignored the last season when Romo was out, coming off strong entrances and talented teams to the playoffs, lose their starting quarterback essentially two weeks before the season begins, and then they end up in wildly different circumstances. The Cowboys have a great running back, so do the Vikings. Zeke goes on to lead the league in rushing yards at the moment. Adrian Peterson gets injured and he isn't playing. The Cowboys put a rookie in to compensate for losing their starting quarterback. He ends up being phenomenal. Minnesota has Sean Hill as their backup. They go trade a first-round pick and another conditional pick for Sam Bradford, who has been, at times, good, usually mediocre, and at times bad. And the defense of Minnesota, which was the best in the league through five games, has tapered off to become average. Now, to be fair, the Cowboys are the number one offense in the league, and they held them to 17 points, so that's impressive. But it's just... It's an interesting thing in sports that I think this is a perfect example of, which is there's so much luck involved. You can be the smartest person in the room and make every right decision, and if the rookie you ended up picking in the fourth round ends up being one of the best quarterbacks in the league, then it doesn't matter. Number six. The final college football playoff rankings are in, and little has changed. Alabama is the unquestioned number one team, followed by Clemson, Ohio State, and Washington, respectively. Some debate occurred over whether Penn State, who beat Ohio State and won the Big Ten title, should have been in over Ohio State. Penn State had an extra loss to Pitt, but who ended up being ranked. Pitt, who also beat Clemson. So a lot of weird stuff going on. Sydney, how do you feel about what the committee did? Because a lot of people are either upset and think that Penn State should have been in over Ohio State, or at the very least, think that Penn State being left out is a reason why the playoff needs to expand from four teams to either six or eight. I think it is ridiculous that Ohio State is in and Penn State is not. Even though that the point of the college football playoff committee is to get what they deem to be the best four teams, and they have said many times that a conference title is only a tiebreaker if they think two teams are even otherwise. I And the head-to-head is also a tiebreaker. But Ohio State is becoming one of those schools that's going to get in even when they're probably not one of the top four but they're, like, maybe top six, so, like, they'll throw them in there. Like, it's becoming an Alabama. Like, it's becoming a school that... I don't think that's a fair estimation. I mean, if your point is Ohio State's going to be getting in year after year, this is the second time in three attempts that they've made it into the playoffs, I would argue that's true, but that's because they have one of the best two coaches in college football. They recruit as well as anybody, and they're always really good. And so they're always going to be one of the four best teams in the country. And sometimes, but like, if they're really good, they should have won their conference title. 
okay, but I'll give you an example, right? They had the same conference record as Penn State. And Ohio State had to play the two then, best teams from the Big Ten West, and Penn State didn't. So Penn State had an easier conference schedule right, than Ohio State. Right, but Penn State. State beat Ohio State. In a really Ohio weird State blocked lost. field in a really weird blocked field goal away game where there were a ton of turnover mishaps. But they lost. And if that's why TCU gets left out two years ago because they lost to Baylor, then I say Ohio State has to be left out. I, think I don't think it's the same thing. I So, like, I'll give you an example, right? People bring up the TCU thing a lot, especially as we are all TCU fans. In 2014, they had Ohio State, Baylor, and TCU, as they said, all even. All ranked evenly. Ohio State had a conference title, a solo conference title. So they got in ahead based on that and the eye test because they had beaten what was a 12th-ranked Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game by 56 to nothing. And they might have had more ranked wins, but I don't remember exactly. Then it goes between Baylor and TCU, who are both tied, both co-champions of the Big 12, and then the committee put Baylor 5 and TCU 6 because Baylor had the head-to-head as a tiebreaker. So my problem is... But if the head-to-head is the tiebreaker, then Penn State should be in the final in the four right now. But it's not... Con- the committee didn't see Penn State and Ohio State as a tie. They th- looked at the tape, and overall they thought Ohio State was the better team, and Ohio State has one fewer loss. Same number of wins because Penn State played an extra game in the Big Ten title game, but they have one fewer loss. So if Penn State and Ohio State were actually even, the committee has indicated, now this is a hypothetical so we don't know for certain, that Penn State would have gotten it because the tiebreaker was the head-to-head in the conference title game and Penn State had both of those things. But the committee doesn't see Ohio State and Penn State as equals, and thus they put in Ohio State. And what I would ask you is maybe you don't think this is important, but the committee has said that's what they deem the most important. When watching it, do you not think Ohio State's the better team? But the I, thing that well, bothers That's a yes or no thing. Do you think they're the better team? If Ohio State and Penn State played 10 times, you don't think Ohio State wins like 7 or 8 out See, of 10? but to me that doesn't matter. Ohio State lost that game. It's like saying 10 out of 10 or whatever, 8 out of 10 times in the last NBA Finals, the Warriors would have won. Like, it doesn't matter because that's not what happened. If If we're doing this the way that they think the college, like, if it's just, it. It's completely different in my mind. Nothing to play for at this point because they knew they weren't going to get in because Ohio State was. It's completely different in my mind than the finals because it's just not set up that way like the college football playoff was created because people didn't like the bcs and didn't like the computers and they wanted people who watch teams and watch the footage deem who the best teams were and if you watched the game tape ohio state almost everyone agrees is a better team than penn state they're more talented they're more consistent there was a really weird few plays that lost them the game at penn state Right, but that's their fault. That was 
a weakness in their offense. And True, but my example is the reason we didn't like the BCS, perfect example, the final year of the BCS, Alabama loses at Auburn on the kick six in a really weird play. Alabama, by all estimations, is the better team. And then, because there was a fluky loss and computers determined who was going to beat computers and polls, they said, well, Auburn has to be the better team because they won. They beat Alabama. Then Auburn goes to the national title game, gets killed by Florida State. So Alabama, I think most people would say, would have played FSU better. It would have been a more competitive game. Maybe Alabama wins, but there was a fluky thing that happened and they didn't. So we brought the committee in specifically so that we could say Ohio State should be in over Penn State. But once that happened, everyone freaked out and says, no, I don't want to do this anymore. See, but I also I don't like that college football works different than every other sport that I can think of. We should just have a real playoff. And the best teams go to the playoffs. So, and it should that, be determined by record and by conference championships. So that brings up what a lot of people are saying, which is you should have an eight-team playoff where all five Power Five champions and get in, and then large. you have three at large. And are you behind that I, position? I'm becoming more behind it because I think that's the most fair way to do it. But then. It's one of those things that then what's to stop us from going to 16 and to 32 and continuing to expand this because Until people are upset. Until it's the NCAA tournament. And, like, honestly, I know people don't care that I'm upset about it, but, like, I just – I don't understand a better way to do it because you can't just keep expanding the college football playoff. And, honestly, I liked the BCS. I thought it was cool. The top two teams get to play each other. It was great. And Except when people disagreed on who the top two teams were. I never disagreed when it was then, but I was also like 12. Um, so, like, I just, I thought it was good. Everybody the, gets their bowl game. Somebody gets to be the national champion. All is, all is well. I guess I just, like, if you're Penn State and you want to get, well, you say Penn State has nothing to play for. Penn State would have made it in if they hadn't lost to Pitt. If Do you think? All, yeah, if their only loss was to Michigan, they would have won. But because then you have a three-way race between Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, all who went 11-1 and in the regular season. But what if Ohio Penn State, State doesn't look as good as Ohio State? Are they still going to put Ohio State in? No, because I think the difference is then you have a three— The difference was th- the extra loss? Then you have a three-way where it's Ohio State who lost to Penn State, Ohio State beat Michigan, and Michigan beat Penn State— and then you give the tiebreaker to Penn State, who had the conference title game, and neither Michigan or Ohio State had that. But See, but what if Ohio State still looks like the better team? If they don't have the same record, I think... If they have the same record, I think it's way harder to make that argument. Ohio State has one fewer loss to Penn State than Penn State does. So it's a lot harder to say they're equal. And according to the committee, you can only... The committee you- sucks. I don't like them. <laughs> They're annoying. According to the committee, conference title games, conference titles, and head-to-head are tiebreakers, not ref- not resume builders. So Ohio State had the better winning percentage than Penn State. And so, I, I just, 
And so that combined with the fact that if you watch the tape, most people would say based on the eye test that Ohio State was better. That's why Ohio State made it in. And in fact, that's why Ohio State is not only made it in, but they're ahead of a one-loss Pac-12 champion, Washington. Which you could argue uh, maybe they Washington should be three and Ohio State should be four, but whatever. Ugh. I hope Washington plays real well. I mean, the, the irony, this is the biggest irony to me, if you're a Penn State fan. Wouldn't you rather go play in the Rose Bowl and have a chance to win than come in as the number four team and lose to Alabama dramatically? Maybe they would have pulled us together and like not if, lost to if, Alabama dramatically. Like, if you're a Washington fan and you're honest with yourself and separate yourself from your bias from your team when, like you think you can beat Alabama and you probably can't. Would you rather have a Rose Bowl win than have no bowl wins? I mean, you'd obviously Even rather have it, the Rose Bowl win. Yeah, so Penn State's got a chance to win the Rose Bowl when they almost ha- would have had no chance to beat Alabama. But uh, that could be said for Washington, too. I did. Uh, that's what I'm asking. <laughs> if, the, if there's a random Washington Huskies fan that listens to this show... Tell us. <laughs> Tweet at us about how you feel. <laughs> Would you rather have played in the Rose Bowl and probably won? Or would you rather make the playoff to make the playoff and then lose to Alabama immediately, essentially? Not to say they have no shot. They have a slim shot, but it's pretty unlikely. So, like, to me, a Penn State might have gotten the better end of the deal. I doubt they would see it like that, but maybe. And then we get back to the point, which was whether you expand the playoff. And I don't want to expand the playoff for this reason. You know what I think we should do? What's that? We should just combine all the football teams and make four big conferences, and the champion from each of those conferences goes to the playoff. Okay, which conference are you disbanding? I'm saying we disband all of them and create new ones with all the teams that aren't in conferences. So what teams so are like in conferences? So like Boise State gets to be in a conference, like a real conference. Well, okay, fine. But first off, the Mountain West, very offended. Uh, <laughs> but like, so... Isn't like Notre Dame not in a conference? Yeah, they're in We'll put them, them in a conference. Well, Notre Dame isn't in a conference because they can... Notre Dame football is not. Notre Dame... Everything Notre Dame else football is in isn't in a conference because they're the worst. Well, I mean, because they have enough history, they just schedule with everyone. Like no, I know. There's histories. They have a history with Florida State, and they have a history with Stanford, Stanford and USC and, like, random stuff like that. But I think we should just take all the teams and make four big conferences and Ma- then so put them in the college playoff. I'm in what is becoming an increasing minority or I guess a decreasing minority, uh, of supporting the four-team playoff. I support for, it if they'll let me disband all five conferences, all the conferences and make new ones. For this reason. <laughs> you don't want me making there, new college football conferences? No. There <laughs> is almost never in my mind four teams that des- more than four teams that deserve to play for a national title. There have been a few times it's occurred, not many, and the few times it occurs... But this way, we're sure the best team wins. Because you throw in those almost good enough teams if you make it eight. But 
Okay, but then and we get you make into the more pro- money off of advertisements and then stuff. we get into the problem. Well, the money thing. I mean, that's different because you're always going to make more money off the games, the more games you have. But the, so why wouldn't they want the better team thing? Is the argument that the argument against going that way is that people love college football because every week matters. If you lose in week six. To but there are Iowa a lot of, State, like, one-loss teams that could very well play for. Maybe I just want to see some of these teams play together. But okay, so I'll give you an example, right? People love college football. One of the reasons is because if Alabama loses to a random team in Week Six, it drum- almost makes it impossible for them to win the title. Versus in every other sport. If you lose, as long as you're not losing regularly, it doesn't change anything. That's true. And and if you're talking about that, if a lot of people would argue if you're the better team, then go out and win your games. And Penn State didn't. Uh, they lost two games. They could have beaten Michigan. They could have beaten Pitt. And if they had done that, then they'd be in. But then Ohio State didn't go out and win their games either. Yeah, they lost one game, not two. That's only a one-game difference. Arguably, only undefeated teams should get to play then because they didn't go out and win their games. So then we go back to the BCS, and we just have an Alabama-Western Michigan title game. Perfect. Uh, The two undefeated. When you... Okay, when you're debating between one loss and two loss, one loss is literally a 100% difference. <laughs> you can't just be like, no, it's just one loss. But if it's your not argument baseball. is they didn't go out and win their games, neither did Ohio State. But Ohio State went out and won more of their games than Penn State. <laughs> That's true, but then they lost to Penn State. That's That's also true, but Penn State didn't win enough of their games. <laughs> then what business does Ohio State have so losing like, okay, to Penn here, State? I'll give you an example. Let's say you and I are in high stakes, real competitive rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> All right? All right. And we have a tournament going on at TCU. And you win like 95% of your rock, paper, scissors matches. And I win like 75% of my rock, paper, scissors matches. But when we play, I beat you. Am I a better rock, paper, scissors player than you? I don't think that's true. (laughs) You're the better rock, paper, scissors player. Okay, but (laughs) I understand your analogy, but here's where that breaks down. It's not rock, paper, scissors is a lot about luck. College football should not be. But one game is about luck. It's why Ohio State lost on a really weird blocked field goal. But they, they got unlucky. have been in that position. If you're truly the better team, you should have started from the beginning of that game being the better team and scoring more touchdowns but it's and not, not like, leaving it up to a kicker. It's not like Penn State's not good. When you're playing a really good team and both teams are good, a couple key plays can make the difference. But then you're not the better team. Just because a couple fluky plays didn't go your way, even though you won a higher percentage of your games? 
No, I think you're not the better team. If you lose, you're not the better team. On that day, you weren't the better team. So, And that means you have the potential for bad days. Is Pitt better than Penn State? Because Pitt beat Penn State. Pitt beat Clemson. Pitt beat, in your estimation, two of the top four teams in the country. <laughs> Should Pitt get in? Who did Pitt lose to? I'm, I don't have the record in front of me, but I'm Pitt has I'm four losses. Yeah. No, they are not the better team. Why not? Because they have more losses. <laughs> but they won the head-to-head. Penn State's got more losses. <laughs> because they have more losses to not good teams. Yeah, Ohio State's one loss is to Penn State, who's pretty good. Penn State has two losses, one to Michigan, who's pretty good, and one to Pitt, who's yeah, good. I just... Uh, I... Uh, the frustration is that Ohio State should get in. and But pe- I don't like that. And That's pe- not fair. And Penn State should get in, which is why people say you should go to eight an eight-team playoff, which I also don't agree with, personally. But I, I think it's fine. For me, as much as people complain about the committee, every single... Now three years running, I've agreed with the four they put in. Even when it wasn't us in 2014. Seriously. I thought TCU was number three in the country that year. I thought we were the best or the second best team in the country, but I wouldn't have put us in over Ohio State. But if we're picking the best teams and you think TCU is one of the best teams in the country, why don't we go to the college football playoff? Because who are you taking out? I don't want to rehash a 2014 discussion, but like Florida State was the worst team in that year and they were undefeated. But if TCU, in your eyes, is one of the best four teams in the country. In my estimation, the best two that year. Best two. Why don't they go to the college football playoff? Because I thought Ohio State was the one team better than us. And they had one more win and a singular conference title and a better But if we're number two, Mm -hmm. why don't we go? Because If we're picking the best four teams in this country... Alabama. Why don't we go? Because Alabama was a had a better resume than us. Fair. So did Oregon. So did FSU. And so did Ohio State. And so did Baylor. But that's my point. Sometimes in college football, the better team doesn't win. But if the point of the college football player is to pick the best four teams, mm-hmm. then they haven't been picking the best four teams. If TCU is the second best I team would in the agree country. With that and they don't pick them, then they're not picking the best four teams, which negates the point. I wish everybody who, like all 12 of you who listen to us, could see my arms right now and the fact that I'm talking with my hands so much. Yep. The uh, No, I agree with you. Uh, they don't pick the best four teams straight off of play because if that were the case, Michigan would also be in the college football playoff right now. But no one's arguing Michigan should win. Football playoff. Because so more of those good teams get to go. Because a, it's hard to make substantial leaps like that. To go from two to eight is very difficult. I imagine we'll probably have eight in the future. And there are people like me who thinks it, who think the sport is more fun when a team like Penn State gets let left out, and people have stuff to argue about and get frustrated over. It's more fun that way. If everyone just got in and played, it'd be like, well, okay. Penn State win if you don't but want to. But my problem is... This like, creates drama and entertainment. 
which is the principal point. But now they've taken away something from players who may have deserved to go. But if you're the player, beat Pitt. If you play for Penn State, okay, but beat Pitt. TCU, we'll go back to it. If they're the second best team in the country and all these players are some of the top talent in the country, what do you tell them? That you should have beaten Baylor. Right. But now we're putting in teams that have losses. And so what – and who is it that's undefeated? Western Michigan? Mm-hmm. If you want to get into why Western Michigan should be in the playoff, not only will I hear you out, I'll probably agree with you. I also think that if that's what we're looking at, then they should – they're undefeated. They should be in the playoff. If that's what we're looking at. An undefeated hashtag action. They should go to the playoff. Over I whom? want the committee to be consistent in how they're choosing who should teams. Be ta- who should be taken out for Western Michigan? Ohio State. So <laughs> neither Penn State or Ohio State get in. In the last, like, 30 nope. minutes, we've been arguing over two teams that now, by your estimation, neither, neither should Neither of them should it. get to play. Okay. Well, you know what? I would say we're going to go to break, but the show has, like, eight minutes left anyway. So we're not going to do that. <laughs> Secondly, we had a seventh like topic about the Heisman, but I don't know. All right, hold up. I'll leave this to my co-host. There are two things left for us to talk about. <laughs> One was the final news story about the Heisman. At what point were we supposed to break? Six, like okay. 22 minutes ago. Good. Uh, so there are two things. Number seven on the news list was about the Heisman. And when we were coming back from break, <laughs> which I'm sad because now we get to talk about one less song, but whatever. We had another discussion. Was going to be about Cam Newton getting benched for one play for not wearing a tie. Which of those two would you rather talk about? For not about? wearing a tie? I did you not hear about this? this? No, I didn't. Okay. So I guess we're doing Cam Newton. Uh, so Cam Newton in the Panthers game against the Seahawks didn't show up to the game wearing a tie. Ron Rivera has a ties on game day policy cam newton was wearing a turtleneck instead so he didn't start the game Derek anderson the backup for cam newton had the first play of the game the first play of the game Derek anderson throws an interception to the seahawks and there are a lot of it created a lot of discussion because there are people like me like it appears you who think it's ridiculous this is a grown man he's allowed to dress himself and then there are other people, like Rivram alum Pat Jones, who says rules are rules. If the rule is you have to wear a tie on game day and you don't wear a tie on game day, then the repercussions are justified. I see it both ways because this is a grown man. He can dress himself. He looks nice in his turtleneck and his little hat. That, to me, is the biggest thing. If he showed up in sweats, I fine. I get it. But yeah. the point of the rule is to dress professionally and represent the team well. Cam did that just because he didn't wear a specific article of clothing in dressing professionally. I mean, it's you're you're getting caught in the weeds about the lettering of the law instead of the spirit of the law. And specifically, he's a grown man. He's a professional. He can do things himself. And you are you are lowering the odds that your team can win by doing this. No, and I. 100% agree with you that he looks nice. 
He looks professional. He's representing the team in a good way. But also, it's a freaking tie. If your coach tells you to wear a tie, just wear the tie. Okay, but... I think they're both being silly in this. But the point of the tie rule is, is to, look, to nice. look professional, right. which he did. But if the rule is wear a tie, wear a tie. Like, I see it from both ways. I think it's ridiculous that they bench him over a tie. Okay, I'll give but you... But I also think it's ridiculous if example. he knows the rule, just wear the tie. I'll give you an example. When here on campus, if you've ever driven or walked on campus, you know that literally every person on campus jaywalks across university. Yes. The spirit of the crosswalk signal is to stay safe. We ignore it. And we just go with it. If a cop came up to me and ticketed me for jaywalking across university... I'd be like, dude, what's up? (laughs) Stop it. I know what I'm doing. Everyone knows what's happening here. I didn't... No one jaywalks across university when cars are driving because they know the spirit of the crosswalk is to create safe traffic patterns. Sometimes people still cross university when there's a green light. Cars end up stopping for them. Well, yeah, and then... People don't know how to drive, and I honk at them. Anyway... But that's possessive. That's not what I'm arguing. I would also argue something like if the speed limit's 35 and you pull me over for doing 37, I'm going to be like, dude, what the heck? Now, to be fair, I would still be justified in getting the ticket. But the difference between that and what happened with Cam Newton is Cam Newton not, not wearing a tie did not pose a threat to another human being. No, I completely agree with you. I think that's Which ridiculous. Does. Why would you sit him if he's wearing a jacket? He's wearing like he looks nice. He looks professional. He To me, this has to do with the fact that Ron Rivera is on the hot seat. The team's dramatically underperforming and he tried to make a power play to show that he still has control of a team. And I'm sure that's probably it. In which case, but like it's one of Don't those make the power play for your star them, quarterback. I just Neither one of them needed to do what they did. Cam Newton knows to wear a tie, so wear the tie. But Rivera knows that that's his quarterback. Don't bench your quarterback because he didn't wear a tie. I think we can all agree that the best course of action would have been one of moderation, which is... Would have been like, hey, dude, wear a tie next week. Yeah, just after the game, in private, go up to Cam and be like, listen, the rules wear a tie. Wear Wear a tie. tie. Yeah. And if you can't get your players to listen to you when you go up to them one-to-one, then you shouldn't be coaching. Then either your player sucks or you suck. And I don't think Cam Newton Newton sucks sucks. because he abided by the spirit of the rule, even if not the letter of the law. Yeah, and I mean, I think if you walk up to a reasonable person, you're like, hey, I made this rule, I need you to follow it. They're like, okay, I'll wear the tie. He could wear a fun tie, he could wear a bow tie. I don't like bow ties. Dak Prescott wore a bow tie. I know. If you're not wearing a tuxedo... I think you look... Oh, but Dak looks so cute in his bow tie. If you're not wearing a tuxedo, I think a bow tie makes you look dweeby. I think it makes you look great. Honestly, has anyone ever looked cool wearing a bow tie outside of a tuxedo? Come on. they yes, can look. Dak Prescott. He looks cool? Yes. He doesn't look, like, cute? No, he looks cool. 
I, he is I'll, cool. He's a cool person. I'll have to look it up again, but I don't think anyone can look cool wearing a bow tie outside of a tuxedo, unless you're talking about, like, hipster chic cool, in which case, fine, but that's very different. It's a plaid bow tie. Okay, for listeners, Sydney is now showing me it. He looks like a dweeb. He looks cool. He's, he's got cute. A, based on that photo, he's got a black suit, a pale pink tie, and some kind of pastel neon bow tie. It looks ridiculous. He wears bow ties all the time. Why didn't I know this? Look at him. That one's not as bad, but it's the same color as the shirt, which would be a faux pas anyway, in addition to the fact that it's a bow tie. I love the Shout bow tie. out to the upcoming fashion podcast that I'll have here on <laughs> KTCU. Because uh, I do take men's fashion surprisingly seriously for someone who just wears jeans and T-shirts all day. Anyway, that's the show. We're a little bit late, so we're probably going to cut rapid fire. Fair. Even though, you know what? No, I'm just going to do rapid fire anyway off the top of my head. Listen, today marks a very momentous day for me. The Last Guardian came out, the spiritual successor to my favorite video game of all time, Shadow of the Colossus, which came out on October 18th, I believe, 2005. October 2005 specifically. It's been more than a decade since the last game, and a decade in development for this game, and many times we never knew it would happen, and it did. And I'm playing it, and i got to be honest with you, I teared up a little bit when I started playing it last night. It's pretty darn magical, and I encourage everyone to go out and play it if they have the chance. Ooh, I'm going to make a shameless plug about something different. And if you like dogs, it's about a boy and his dog bird thing. Sorry, I got distracted and really excited. Uh, shameless plug about um, a documentary that's being produced here at TCU. Um, I didn't know about this. Sports documentary is a class here at TCU. There are 14 of us. We made and produced a 34-minute long documentary. So not exactly in- Ken Burns. No. That is being... Uh, sent to film festivals on Monday and here at TCU on January 30th, we will be having a screening in the Blue Auditorium and for anybody who listens, it's open to everybody. There will be coffee and there will be snacks and then we'll show the documentary and it's called A Different Playing Field and then we will have a panel of people to answer questions including four ballet dancers from Texas Ballet Theater which the documentary surrounds. And uh, myself as the lead editor and a couple other people from my production crew will be there to answer questions for the audience. Everybody should come. It's super cool. Actually really, really proud of it. I'm sure you hear student production and you don't think it's going to be great, but we watched it all the way through as a class yesterday and it was honestly amazing. That's really cool. You're the editor? What? You're the editor? I'm the lead editor. So... Now, humor me, because you don't watch a lot of movies. We've discussed this. How, what's your editing philosophy when you go about editing a short film like this? So I had, obviously, researchers and writers and a producer. And so uh, people wrote the story for me. And I have three editors on my crew, four editors on my crew. Um, So obviously, a documentary is made up of different themes. So each editor had a different theme. And then... um, I just kind of went in and kind of melded the story together a little bit better and um, made an extra section on the end 
and just like have watched it through a couple times and fixed B-roll and audio and worked with one of my professors because to do it clean. For longtime listeners, they'll know I'm a cinephile. And when I think about, like, the best edited films in recent years, I think about, like, Whiplash or... Okay, but editing a documentary is a lot different than editing a film. I don't know that that's necessarily true. Oh, it's I all storytelling. It's for sure true. It's all storytelling. It doesn't matter if it's fiction or not. I think editing a documentary and editing, like, a short film is a lot different. Okay. I guess you're the more experienced one. Anyway, that's the show. And we leave you with this. This is the song We the People off the most recent Tribe Called Quest album. Thank you, sir. Thank you for your service. Goodbye. We have it from here. This album came out about a month ago and we just never got a chance to talk about it even though it's one of the best records of the year. A Tribe Called Quest, one of the greatest rap acts in the history of music who this is their first album in 18 years and they're pretty darn good i'm not even going to ask due to time constraints if sydney knows who a tribe called quest is because i suspect the answer is no this has been the reference sports show here at ktcu I am Phil Papadakis. You can find me on Twitter at Phil Papadakis. My co-host is... Sydney Laudit. You can find me on Twitter at Notorious underscore SYD. And you can find the show on Twitter at Fort. And you can find a podcast version of the show on iTunes, Google Play, Music, and SoundCloud. We thank you for listening, and we hope we'll come back next week. No, that's a lie, because we won't be on next week. In fact, we won't be on until next semester. So we're taking about a month off. I'm sorry, I have a final next week at this time. Enjoy the holidays, everyone. Have a lovely Christmas. Or Hanukkah, or whatever you do. Peace out, Girl Scout. 2017 is coming. It'll be here by the next time we're here. That's cool. Anyway. Have a good night. that came up against the odds. We're not just rappers with the bars. It's kids with that because we with the stars. You bastards overlooking street art. Better hit street smart, but you keep us on the charge. Some of your numbers and your statisticians. Y'all know about true competition. It's like the A.O. on there talking about he hitting. The only one who's hitting are the ones that's currently spitting. We got to make some smitten, rubbing on a little kitten. Dreaming of a world that's equal for women. We know the vision. Boy, I tell you, that's vision. Like Tony Romo when he hitting with it. The best in eight division. Shot to Muhammad, cut it with precision. Come back years later, still hit the shot. Still, I'm trying to move you off the block. Babylon, blood clot. Poop on your head, Todd. Bad folks, you must go.